Hi, and welcome back to Love in Quarantine. I am your host, Carly Shortino. Before we start, I want to say thanks to our sponsor, Luand. Luand is a female-founded brand of premium pleasure toys, and I just got a box of toys from them last week and then spent the weekend doing some extremely laborious research into their products. And their stuff is really beautifully made. They have everything from a classic, high-powered wand massager to smaller vibrating bullets, which are USB rechargeable. Very modern. To learn more about Lewand, visit lewandmassager.com and use code CARLY, K-A-R-L-E-Y, to take advantage of their special once-a-year 30% off sale, which is valid through May 31st. So today I'm speaking with Nicole Blaine. She's a comedian in LA who's quarantined with her husband and their two kids. And so obviously there's a lot of conversations happening right now about how during quarantine, no matter how much you love your kids, like taking care of them full time can be a true nightmare, (laughs) apparently. And something I've thought about a lot myself is how do people have kids and do anything else? Like my boyfriend and I just got a puppy six months ago. And even that seems completely life consuming to me, which is one of the reasons actually that I was really reluctant to get a dog. Like I didn't understand the appeal of that responsibility. Like even now he's like eating the couch. Romy. Okay. He stopped eating the couch, but So yeah, I didn't really understand the appeal of that responsibility. And no joke, for years I would walk by dog parks and think like, wow, like so weird that those people just consensually enslave themselves to a random animal. Like for me, I come from a somewhat strict upbringing. So I've really made an effort to create a life for myself that has a lot of freedom and flexibility in it. Like I never had an office job. I work mostly from home. Um, I like that I could travel at a moment's notice and, and being able to achieve this lifestyle was something that, you know, I felt really proud of. And so when my boyfriend suggested getting a dog, I was really triggered. Like, I don't want to take care of something. And more practically, just like, I don't want to wake up before 10 a.m. because I'm not a masochist. And another thing was that I just never really had an emotional connection with an animal ever. Like, for instance, my family had a dog when I was growing up, starting when I was around five. And then when I was 18, I moved to London. And then when Christmas, I came home and I had been at my parents' house for a few days. And suddenly I look around and I'm like, wait, where's the dog? And my brother just looks at me and he's like, the dog is dead. The dog is dead. And we already told you that. And you still didn't even notice. And like, meanwhile, he'd gotten three tattoos in memory of the dog and my entire family thought I was evil. So that was a really telling moment. But then now suddenly I have this puppy and I love him more than I ever realized I could love anything. And it fucking weirds me out every single day. But it really now just feels so grounding and kind of necessary to think about the well-being of something other than myself for like five seconds. But the secondary benefit of this, which is something I really wasn't expecting, was that making this big commitment with my boyfriend has been really beneficial for our relationship. Like signing up to take care of something together can really be a massive turn on. And that's a big part of what I talk about today with Nicole. We talk about how the commitment of having kids impacted the relationship and sex life between her and her husband. And I know that sex after kids can be an intense topic for a lot of people. And we also talk about how during this time, seeing her husband really step it up and be a competent and loving caretaker can be super hot, even in the midst of what can undoubtedly be at times a hellishly annoying living situation. So without further ado, here is Nicole Blaine. 
Okay. Can you give me a rundown? What is going on in your life? What is your quarantine situation? So I am quarantining with my husband, um, who I've been with for 24 years, married for 17, and our two children. I have a daughter that's 12, a son that's eight. And every single afternoon into the late evening, my mother comes over so that she's not alone and depressed and dying of all the stress as she loses her business. It's really positive. Super fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, at least you have additional babysitting support, I suppose. Funny that you say that. She's normally been our biggest babysitter. And I have to say, like, her whole business crumbling has, like, really made her useless as far as a babysitter. I'm like, Mom, I get that your entire life is going down the tubes, but what about me? <laughs> I know. It sounds like it's going really well for you guys. Are you guys, like, bonding yeah. or, like <laughs> – we're nailing it. Uh, no, the truth is, I actually think as much as I I, I hate them all, um, I actually feel like we're doing a really good job. Like it has been. The silver lining is is that I've gotten these precious moments that I never would have had because I work so hard. Normally, I'm out five six nights a week doing stand up and doing shows in shitty bars, you know, and. And during the day, working a regular day job and coming home and grabbing them from school and making dinner and running out the door. And then my husband has to do the, all the nighttime stuff with them and put them to bed and bathe them and do the homework. So for the first time, I'm here for it. And I, one, I have a lot more empathy uh, for everything he's been doing for the last 10 years by himself as like almost like a single dad, which I've always felt incredibly guilty about. So it's been nice to have this sort of amazing time with them and not have to worry about what dick joke I'm going to tell later that night as I run <laughs> out the door or that like my brain is sort of segmented and I'm wondering and like sometimes I'll even say like, are you talking to yourself as I'm putting them to bed, you know, because I'm like rehearsing in my head. So the nights have been sweet and and intimate and loving and affectionate and actually completely wonderful most of the time. Um, the problem is that it just doesn't end. And then you're crammed up against all the like fighting that the two kids have with each other. So it's a mishmash of, of a lot going on. Right. Like, so it sounds like the, the sort of routine of it, the logistics are really different now. Like what was your life like beforehand. So I know that obviously as a comedian, you are essentially, you essentially work nights, right? And, um, mm -hmm. but then what, what does your husband do? And, um, and I imagine, you know, now you're spending a ton of time together. It sounds like before this, that you guys had a particular, um, lifestyle in which you, you and him probably saw each other maybe even less than most couples who were working like a nine to five ish type thing. Well, and it's weird because, um, I'm obsessed with my husband. Like I've always said, the strange thing is, is if I, you know, before we got put into these bodies and I got to choose my, where like I cashed in all my karma chips, it was on partnering with this guy. Like I have been, yeah, I fell madly in love with him when I was 13 years old. I dated his best friend who was like a total creep for four years. Oh. Um, so I got like that. Yeah, yeah. You got to have like the icky relationship, get that one out of the way. But then I was able to be best friends with him for those. And then when I was 18, we started dating and I've been with him since I was 18. So our normal life was for 12 years with no kids. And I was obsessed with him. Like it was one of those things where I was like, we get along so well. And so his job is that both of us were, he was like the aspiring writer director when we met and I was the aspiring performer, funny person, you know? And so we decided to make things together. So we've always had our day jobs to make 
things work. So he's a high school theater teacher and film teacher. And I work medical sales during the day. And then we always would come together at nights and the weekends and spend every single minute working together, creating something and putting it up, you know, in a like shitty theater in Hollywood or something like that. So when we had kids, we kept doing it and we would put them to bed and work all night and or have my mom babysit and work together. So even though we're apart a lot, it's interesting. I feel like there's a ton of uh, professional and personal collaboration partnering that we've always done. Um, And strangely enough, I feel like that always has fed into our romantic life because the more we work together and the more he writes and helps and directs and does stuff with me, the more intimate um, sexually our relationship has gotten. They've always sort of coincided in a weird way. Um, So then adding kids to it was sort of an interesting it was romantic, but then like, I feel like that's where our sex life completely dropped off was after having the first baby and going through major postpartum. And I had a really colicky baby. And I would say for those first six months, him touching me was just horrible. And knowing that we, yeah. Like, have you talked a lot with people after like sex after having a baby? No, I mean, we might as well just talk about that the whole time because I'm really interested in, (laughs) um, (laughs) In that, and just in sort of like sex patterns and long-term relationships in general, and obviously that's okay. a major component of it. So, you know, you're saying you were together a ton of time before the kid, right? Yeah. Well, it was good because I felt like when I hated him after having a baby because I had this colicky baby that was screaming at 3 a.m. and like the only person to hate was him just because he was the other guy in the room. Because it's know? genetic and it didn't come from you. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I was like, these are your crazy fucking genes that went up into my vagina. And this is the fruit that you drop. Um, So yeah, I wanted to murder him. But I kept knowing that I was like, I'm glad we had a strong 12 years ahead of time. So I could be like, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Literally, it sort of was too on the nose there. But I knew that we would regroup at some point. And I was willing to let him touch me again months later and then slowly. But I know that the actual connectivity um, intimately and feeling good again, and I clocked it, was 18 months after my first kid. That was when I started to realize we were going to be okay. And I will tell you the weirdest thing that happened to me sexually after having a baby and like sex after from all those years and now this new sex, it got better. Um, that was where I, yep. The biggest shift in my sex life with him was as soon as I was past the hate, um, and past postpartum, we started having sex and I honestly feel like the actual mechanics of my insides shifted after having a baby, like my vagina. I mean, I'm not trying to brag like he's so huge, but he fit after ripping my entire vagina apart and having a nine pound... He loves the details. That nine pound baby made room for him to finally fit in there. And, uh, and all of a sudden, and and I'll be totally blunt, my, um, like juices started flowing in a way that they hadn't before. Almost like now I could get wet really, really fast. And that never happened before having a child. And I don't know whether it was a hormonal switch or, you know, I don't know if other women have experienced experienced this after having a baby, but I was able to, for the first time in my life, have an orgasm within minutes and it felt different. My, I was like stimulated 
all over my body in different ways. I was completely connected to my body ever since having a baby. And after breastfeeding, I was super sensitive in like a really positive way. And he, after knowing me as well as he did for those 12 years before um, and being deprived for six to 18 months after, he was so excited. And it was maybe also in time with like being in my 30s and being more mature. But we had a whole sexual revolution after having our first kid and reconnecting. And it was the first time I made him like a photo book of like pretty pictures. And I hired a photographer. And I don't know, there was a really big change up at that point uh, that was really, really nice. So then when I had my second baby, I felt like I knew there would be that sort of like pause again, but that I was excited to kind of come back to it. So flash forward, my kids are way older. Um, And I feel like our sex life was the best it's ever been in the last decade since having kids. And now with the quarantine, I feel like we have to find ways, yes, because we don't have a babysitter and we don't have time to get away. So I don't know, like I feel like right now my kids are both on a Zoom classroom and, you know, he's a teacher, so he happens to be teaching at the moment. But if he wasn't, then like all of a sudden we're finding these like secret times to you know, sneak away from the kids and we both don't have work at this exact moment and we can like lock the door and like all of a sudden we're the hiding teenagers from right. our parents. I mean, we're doing what we can. It's desperate times. Well, it's interesting because you're saying as you've been together for such a long time that learning how to adapt over various years in various different situations, um, as your sef- a sex life adapts, that you know that on the other end of what might be a difficult time, it can actually get better. So that's like something kind of reassuring, right? I think for a lot of people, you know, in long-term relationships, your sex life changes. And I think that uh, it takes getting into a long-term relationship to, to learn that, right? It's like something you hear mm-hmm. in an abstract way. Um, yeah. But then if you stop having sex as much, for example, and you don't have a model from the past where you stopped having sex for a little while and then you started having sex and it got better again, then it's really easy to be like, we stopped having sex and we will never have sex ever again for the rest of our lives. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I've been in long-term relationships before the one I'm in now. Um, My last partner, we were together for like three years and change. And so I saw that sort of natural ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're saying that after you had kids – after you had your first kid that you didn't want to be like that it was 18 months basically before it really came back. Like that's a long period of time. Did you feel nervous or like, were you having sex at all during that period? Like what was going on? Yeah. I mean, listen, the doctor says you're not allowed to touch anything for the first six weeks. Right. And like every woman uses that as like every second of that excuse, like do not come near. And also you're bleeding for six to eight weeks. Like you're still delivering a like blood and baby g- leftovers. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> the, the worst like leftover buffet bar that just kind of keeps trickling like old kale. Oh my um, God. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Did you, the, I don't know if you've not talked to women after they've had a baby, but I've never heard it, it described is. as kale, but like, I guess that's like a very 2020 analogy. <laughs> I just came up with it just felt really fitting but so there's no way that like no woman and like the like I have a friend who had a baby um like got pregnant six weeks after she delivered a baby and I was like what fucking couple does that like the Irish twin thing is like mind-blowing I don't know what's going on but (laughs) eventually your body stops hemorrhaging 
and you realize this poor partner of yours has been doing diaper duty in the middle of the night and trying to help as much as possible. And like, you owe him more than a blowjob, you know? So I did, I felt like I, he's such, he was such an incredible father right off the bat that I wasn't going to start having sex with him because I wanted it. I was going to, I knew it was his love language. And I've always felt that like you, if he's going to sit here and help me write jokes and and stuff like that like he loves me by giving me that time i also have to love him in giving that that time you know and and it is showing up sexually even if i don't feel like it and then as my body relaxed and had healed as soon as it didn't hurt anymore it felt amazing um so that was sort of how that shifted over it's like it reminds me of that feeling like you know when you're hungover and everything is so painful and nightmarish and you can't handle everything, anything. Yeah. And then the moment that you stop being hungover, just the feeling of not being in pain makes – it's like this elation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like basically not wanting to barf feels like the best you've ever felt. So maybe it's like yes, that. It is like that. The, I mean there's also weird things. Like I remember when we first started having sex and it wasn't too painful but I was still really into breastfeeding. Um, I was on top. And I got, I finally started to really relax and start to really feel good. And all of a sudden, milk started pouring out of my breasts. And it was one of those things where he was like, whoa. And I was like, I didn't mean for, I don't know what's happening. And all of a sudden, I was like waterboarding him. You know, like it was like, <laughs> this went into a place I didn't know could have. But it's all, but that's what's interesting about our body being so connected with having babies. And that's why people who breastfeed, you know, it releases what is it? Oxytocin, mm -hmm. um, which is very similar to like when you're relaxed and having sex and sort of all those, those hormones. So I actually feel like it integrates the partner in a, if you can get past the weirdness of like, there's milk pouring out of my tits right now. Um, I, I thought it, it just brings you closer. And then it took off from there. And I feel like that <laughs> sort of opened up our entire sex life into a more of a free-spirited sort of sex positive, what can we do together to make this fun while being parents? Um, and it's the same with, I think, this, this quarantine time. Yeah, I do think that there's you could draw a comparison, right? Where, I mean, you have to be adaptive, but also just like after you have a baby, you said, right? you're having a really stressful period of time. You're handling a lot. You're like, emotions are running high. And I think during this time, people are trying to figure out um, how to adapt like the romantic and sex lives into a period of time that's extremely stressful, um, mm -hmm. where you're managing a ton. And yeah, where you have all these new challenges. And I think that a lot of the kind of narrative that I'm seeing on the internet is this sort of like reassuring mother vibe where it's like, don't worry if you don't want to have sex, like not wanting to have sex is totally okay right now. And I think that, you know, mm -hmm. you could like say that after you have a baby that you could tell yourself the same thing. It's like, guess what? I don't want to have sex right now because I just pushed a nine pound human being out my vagina and I'm, and whatever, like the whole kale just charge situation that you were talking about. But like, <laughs> but also on the flip side of that, you're saying this doesn't have to be – it doesn't only have to be like thought of as an intermediate like purgatory waiting period where you're not having sex. It could be – it could lead to something greater. For, yes. The first month of quarantine, I'm glad he didn't even really ask for it much. Like it was one of those things where I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Even though I was home more and doing less work, you know what I mean? Um, 
I didn't, I, I couldn't connect with him in that way. It just felt really off the table. And my mom was so sad and falling apart. And so there, and our kids were all of a sudden being homeschooled and they were sad and missing. So I think there was too much sadness. Um, but something after a month, I think just you start to get more into a flow. And I realized, again, it goes into watching him be so high functioning and being our anchor and being this strong, amazing guy who doesn't lose his temper while all of us are kind of flailing around. And finally, when the kids go to bed and I can look at him and I know like he, like I said, his love language is intimacy. And so even if I don't feel like it in the moment, it's absolutely fine for me to say, all right, I'm just going to take off my clothes and lie here. Even that, like he'll get excited about, you know, I don't even need to do much by the way, you know, just the simple be naked and lie there. And he is like, this is the greatest night ever. Um, and I started doing it a month in and it, it was, it's making, and again, look at the more I do that at night, uh, on a regular basis, the more the dishes get done. And during a quarantine time, when there are dishes every fucking two hours, it's worth it. You know, those blowjobs are worth it. It's practical. It's goal-oriented. Yeah. Loving Quarantine is sponsored by Luand, a brand of premium pleasure toys designed with all bodies in mind. One of my favorites is the Arch, which is a double-ended stainless steel wand. It's basically a really weighty G-spot stimulator, which I recommend. And it's also dishwasher safe, which makes cleanup a lot easier depending on whether you have roommates or parents who you share your dishwasher with. Anyway, to learn more about Luand, visit luandmassager.com and use code CARLY to take advantage of their special once a year 30% off sale valid through May 31st. What you're talking about is, is uh, it reminds me of this thing that I found so interesting. So there's this famous book. Oh, I forgot the writer and I feel like a bad feminist, but it's called Come As You Are, um, okay. which is a very, it's like in the kind of like sex positive feminist world of books. It's, it's one that's quoted all the time. So it's easily Googleable. But the big takeaway of it for me is that this woman writes about that there's two forms of desire. There's essentially like active desire and there's responsive desire. So um, active desire is when you are with someone you're dating or sleeping with or married to, and you're like actively wanna fuck. And then there's, mm -hmm. and then it's then responsive desire is when you're not really in the mood, but you could be turned there. There's a possibility for you to be turned on, right? And the, yeah. the book is basically about how, in long term relationships, if you're both waiting to have active desire at the same time in order to have sex, like you're not going to have sex very much, right? Yeah. Like, so that the idea that if, if one person initiates because mm -hmm. they're having active desire, right. Or, um, mm -hmm. that, that to remind yourself that being like touched and, uh, and by the other person that there is like, that it's really not that far away. Like not, not saying like you should have sex if you don't want to or pressure yourself to, because obviously that would be bad too. But that like, okay, I might not want to, but remember like sex is connective. And if I, and I can get into it if I put in the few minutes. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's important to remember. It, for me. And I, I'm glad that you're putting words on it. Like I like that someone wrote about it, but yeah, I really feel like a lot of the other times it, it's, you're right. It's not like I'm 
don't ever want to do this and I'm doing it. I'm telling all these women to suck it up and this is their job. No, 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 no. I'm so in love with this guy. Our friendship is so fierce. He's such an incredible partner. And I know he does so much for me. And I know that I'll end up really liking this too. But I do feel a responsibility so that he feels loved also. He doesn't want to do the fucking dishes. He doesn't want to be the anchor all the time. He doesn't want to do all the laundry, you know, like, but he does it because he loves us. And I feel like that's his love language. And my love language is for him. I need to read his room and his is get naked. And like, I can do that, you know? So, and I'll end up enjoying it more than he enjoys the dishes. Yes. Right. You know, it's nice to hear it said in this practical way, because I think that framed differently, the exact same situation could be seen as depressing. Right. Which is like, oh, but I, <laughs> oops, right. Like, like, oh, I miss back when we both just saw each other and wanted to like jump down each other's throats. And like now we're having sex because we feel like we should. And it's like, but who cares? Like, I think that, yeah, you're going to get to the point in your relationship when you're having sex because you're like, hey, um, we haven't had sex in a while. Like we should have sex because afterward, cause we just cause I'm not like burning desire to have sex right now. Like I'm tired. Like it's quarantine. They have like kids screaming every five seconds, but it's like, I know that once we start that we'll enjoy it and it'll be connect connected and afterward we'll be happy that we did. And like, I don't think that's depressing, but you know what I mean? I think this idea of like, oh, we really should have sex. It's like, I could see how it sounds, it, it sounds bad. Yeah. It sounds bad. Here's here's the plus of my sex today versus that exciting sex that you're talking about in the beginning of a relationship, which we clearly had 24 years ago. I'm sure it was. I don't remember, but I'm sure it was great. Um, I think that throughout these this time together, each five or so years, I feel like he's a different partner and that our sex has been – that's the thing is I don't feel like I've been with one person. Our sex today is nothing like it was – at the beginning. And it was fun at the beginning. And I thought it was really good. And I remember when we got married and that was like at the six year mark. And I remember this only because we were on our honeymoon and I felt super connected and like, wow, we, we did the marriage thing. This sort of makes it feel different. And I felt a little bit more relaxed intimately. And I thought, oh, we just hit a new, and it was the first time I like cataloged a new mark where I was like, oh, sexually, I feel different with you. You seem different. I seem different. I seem more relaxed. And then I feel like the next five years was a different partner and so forth and so on. And I wonder if people who have never had this long of a relationship, if they can get to this level of lovemaking intimacy. I don't know because I haven't had as much casual sex as other people. Oh, that's an interesting question. I think it's different. I think that casual sex is absolutely different than sex in long-term relationships, right? Like I was really relating to what you were just saying about the idea of like commitment, different levels of commitment changing sex. Like yeah. I had this experience kind of recently because my boyfriend and I got a dog like six months ago. And okay. I mean, obviously that's not having a kid, but it was – it's still a huge commitment. It's like taking on – a living thing for like a decade plus. To me, it felt like the biggest commitment that we had made, more so than moving in actually. Uh, Which is sort of a turn on, right? Like doesn't that just sort of release the like exciting aspect of sex when you know that like he's committing to at least 10 years of a dog's life to you? No, but it did. And I was not expecting that. Like it was a real yeah. shock for me because – 
you feel safer, right? You use the word safe. Like you yeah. feel safer. Mm-hmm. So like there is a like more um it's not even like, oh, I feel open to be more experimental. It's just like, yeah, that things that were previously seemed threatening don't necessarily seem threatening. Just because like it's I I can see too why getting married would feel like that. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. you you're you're committed to me, so now um, things don't feel so precarious and I feel freer to like be more of myself, even maybe parts of myself that I didn't realize I had, like I now have access to. And I think like in casual sex, there's also something cool about it in that sometimes you can kind of be like a vacation version of yourself that like doesn't mm-hmm. arise in long-term relationships where you do something like whatever you're like, Oh God, I, I'm a deep throat person today, which I don't want to be in my long-term relationship, but I'm down to be Mm -hmm. twice with this stranger. I don't know. Hearing you say that is interesting. So you're saying that just happened at various points over and over. And what about your friends? Like, have you been talking to friends and people you know? Like, what are they reporting in terms of sex and and relationships? Like, are a lot of them also married with kids? Like, do you commiserate or uh, with each other? It's such a good question. The weirdest thing is I feel like I'm overly open about sex. I have a ton of sex jokes in uh, my material that I do on stage. And I don't talk to most – there's literally only one friend that I feel like I'm super open with and like she's open with me. And it's strange because – and what's interesting is she's my single friend who is always dating. And so like she's really like – she'll be really quick to like tell me their – quick sex life, you know, that she just started dating. So then I'm really open. My married friends, which is the majority of people with kids, do not talk to me about this stuff. For some odd reason, I don't feel as comfortable. And maybe I'm misreading the relationship, but I am an open book. I don't know. They don't talk as much as I think maybe single people do. Do you see a correlation there? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, it, Depends. I think that, uh, okay, so you're talking about how it's easier for you to basically talk about sex in front of an audience, right? Like the, that's yeah. essentially it. Yeah. I know that feeling for sure. So basically I'm, we have similarities in that department and that I write about sex too, right? And I, um, I've been writing a column about sex for a long period of time and also was doing, you know, this documentary show called Slut Everywhere. It's, it's a show about sexuality in which I'm like divulging things about myself, but in essentially sound bites, right? Like, yeah. Um, and I think sometimes yeah, this is going to be like hard to say, but I'll try. It's like, I think that what you do and like what, I, what I do as well, when you're talking about sex in your standup, that that's really helpful for people because it's really normalizing. And I think like sex is such a confusing and vulnerable complicated subject to talk about that hearing someone make jokes about it is like the greatest level or normalizer possible because it's so often it's just humor is so necessarily necessary and a great on-ramp in that department because so often conversations about sex are like so like pedantic or serious or embarrassing but um but the other the flip side of that is that as the person behind that those jokes um Mm -hmm. or you know, comedic essays or whatever they are. It's not that vulnerable for me to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think it mm-hmm. reads o- often as that. Like people in interviews will be mm-hmm. like, oh my God, like you talk so much 
about your own, your personal life? Is that like difficult or, you know, is there anything you won't talk about? And I'm in my head, I'm like, I won't talk about like pretty much 95% of stuff. It's like this really specifically curated form of vulnerability that ends up not being that vulnerable because you like tweak the sentence 45,000 times and you know exactly what you're going to say and you can say exactly and only what you want to be said. Whereas Mm -hmm. like sometimes to me, that's certainly easier than having a one-on-one conversation about like an actual problem I'm going through. You know what I mean? Well, and that's yes. And it's interesting because I feel like because I don't have shame around sex, I feel like you're right. That is a part of my story I'm willing to share. Um, I, it's it's interesting that I use it as a manipulative way to win over a crowd off the bat also, which is interesting that we can use that with sexuality. Even though I'm not um, a sexy person, I don't dress sexy, I don't wear much makeup, I'm a very like plain looking person. So also it's not that I'm selling sex with my body, it's literally I just have a dirty mouth, which I think is interesting that that sex jokes brings people together. Totally. But it's also, I mean, to say I'm not a sexy person because I don't dress sexy, I just have a dirty mouth. It's like so interesting because I find, I think a lot of what I find sexy is really psychological. I mean, obviously, I'm, everyone is visual too. Like you want to have sex with someone in part because of what they look like, right? And there are mm-hmm. certain signifiers that are like sort of culturally agreed upon or are most often seen as sexy. But Mm-hmm. To me, like someone who can like talk about sex or be dirty, that is a massive turn on more so than just right. someone who's like, like a hot, like a hot bodied, like dumb, not funny person is not sexy to me. Yeah. it's But what's interesting, and this will be the one thing I would say, so being totally vulnerable, um, as much as I idolize, idealize my relationship, one of the recurring fights that my husband and I got into for many years was something that um, kept coming up for us. And I, he finally, I was like, I think we need to legitimately see a therapist just about this recurring fight um, because I couldn't get past it. And it didn't come up often, but it'd be like once every two or three years, it would pop up. But when it did, it was really ferocious. And it was something that I was doing um, about that. So we would be in a new circle of people. I didn't know them. And I was trying to win them over and be like the funniest person in that like four person conversation, right? Like that desperate, like I'm going to, I'll be funny. And I would make some really over the top sex joke. And my husband would be standing right next to me and I would make some weird like, oh yeah, well, if only you knew what a good blowjob I could give, which if I talked about, if I gave as many blowjobs as I talked about, he'd be a much happier person. Like, <laughs> I'm all talk. Okay. Yeah. But I would make these really absurd jokes. And like, at first he was like, look, I'm standing right here. They know it's innocent. They know you're being funny. It's fine. But it would get to a point where he was like, you're kind of making me look like an idiot, you know? Like, are you overtly flirting with them? Are you actually offering a blowjob to them? Um, and then I would feel really guilty because I wasn't. And he was like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I know that you do this in general with me or without me. And at some point I'm scared that some guy will take it as an actual offer and then make an advance on you and it could get bad, you know, and, and you could get yourself into a sticky situation. So I think that you're over 
comfortable sex banter, funny stuff could make you not good. And I did it at one point to a pretty famous stand-up comedian. And and my husband was like, look, I love you and I'm not mad at you, but like, it doesn't look good. It's not going to look good for you as a career or you as a person or us as a couple. And I had to, yeah, it was so weird. Like, why am I doing that? Because I'm not on stage. It's inappropriate. Um, and I kind of, so we went to like talk to a therapist and after like one session, it was, I don't know, like I had to face why was I doing it? Why was I so desperate to use this leverage of sex talk um, to make friends and humiliate my relationship with my husband over it? Um, and I had to really look at who I am and what I am. So like that borderline of talking about it innocently for comedy and not, I don't know, it's, it's a slippery slope, but I've had to really examine it so that I also don't damage my own relationship with my husband or the people I'm doing that with you know? No, completely. But I would say, you know, you've been talking a lot about how over the course of your relationship, there's been a lot of ups and downs and things you've had to face and that you guys have obviously are a success story in that department. Like, is there something that you would say to couples who are having issues right now during quarantine about um, like the bigger picture or about how to get through this or about what it means you know, like as someone who has had a lot of difficult periods of time but came out the other end of it and, and sometimes were better for it? You know, I feel like a hard time like this and any hard times we've all gone gone through before will bring out your true colors. And one of the things like I feel like my husband and I even like to teach the kids is always take the high road, right? Like you can't you can't control what the other person does. You can only control how you react to it, so what you bring to the table. And I feel like that goes for our couplehood too. And whenever there's a rough patch, I feel like you just kind of go, so what's, what's, what's the high road? Because this, everything is temporary in life. Like whether, you know, you haven't been through a lot with that person or not, you've had life and you know that things constantly change and this is going to change. It's just going to be the same, but I love him. And if you can remember who that person is and that this is a best friend of yours. And if you trust them and you feel safe, you can get through this. And I don't think that you need to be having a lot of sex right now. I think you need to just know that because it's a moment that's going to pass, you got to go with your gut and find that love language, but like still communicate it and make sure that you do what you need to do to give the other person the feeling of, Hey, I love you right now. And if you're both giving, I also have a friend who's an amazing um, divorce mediator. She used to be a lawyer and felt like that was a complete corrupt, you know, business. So she went into mediation. So the advice she gives to everybody is you need to be the first person to give and be nice and be generous um, so that you get that back, right? The first person who gives will, will initiate a giving sort of recurrence, then the other person will be excited to like, oh, you know, I'm going to reciprocate. I'm going to be nice too. Someone has to be nice first. And I feel really truly that in a marriage, in a long-term marriage and going through something like a quarantine, you know, if I want him to be this amazing partner and father and homeschooling teacher and worker and whatever it is, they're like, I also need to be the first person to extend some olive branch and knowing what he likes and that his is probably more, you know, sexual or intimacy, you know? And so I feel like that advice makes sense, right? You give and you receive. And so be the first person to give because it just starts a domino effect. 
That's really, really good advice. Yeah, it reminds me of this thing. I think it was, you know, Esther Perel, that kind of famous sex yes, therapist? I'm a lover. Lo- yeah. Love yeah. her. Everyone, I mean, she, she's the busiest person in the world during quarantine. Oh my God. She's like, everyone's asking her for everything. But in her <laughs> first, one of her first TED Talks, so years ago now, what you just said reminded me, she said something along the lines of like, often my patients, my couple's patients, one of them will say, you know, I just want him to change. I've, why won't he change in this way? He's always doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And for years I've wanted it to be different. And she said, well, rather than focusing on why the other person won't change, why don't you focus on the fact that you've been doing the same thing for years that's always inciting the same reaction from them. So if you want them to be different, you have to do something different in order to, uh, generate a different response. And then a lot of times her patients in response would say, well, be the, why do I have to be the one that changes though? Like, why do I have right. to change first? And she was like, because you're the one that's asking for a different response. And I think that was that I always stuck with me because it's like, right. Like it's not, everything is a dynamic basically. Yeah. And listen, my husband has edited my stand-up comedy special and directed it and spent countless hours hunched over a computer doing every single, oh, that frame, that frame. And I sit there and do that. And like, I joke in front of even my mom when she comes over and I'm like, do you know how many blowjobs this is going to cost me? And she giggles because I'm a comedian and she's used to it. But like, she also knows it's completely true. You know, like that is the love language that we speak. And he does so much for me and I'm going to do so much for him. Sometimes while he's actually editing, I will give him what he wants. (laughs) And those edits turn out incredible, (laughs) let me tell you. So yeah, no, I think you have to do it. (laughs) And it's not like, it doesn't sound like you're like, oh, fine, I have to pay him in blowjobs now, like here goes under the desk. But it's more like, oh, this is something that I can give him and it makes me feel good to give that. It's like feeling good in, like feeling good, quote. There's a lot of ways in which something can feel good. Listen, and I can't give this advice to everyone. You have to be married to someone like my husband who's a premature ejaculator. (laughs) That's it. That's all you need is someone who legitimately comes in under 90 seconds and then everything's pretty easy. (laughs) That's what I recommend. If you want to be in a long-term relationship, you have to find someone who just like still has wet dreams in their 40s. Okay, those guys, easy to take care of. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Interview (laughs) over. That was the information we should have led with, but we finally got there. Well, thank you so much for listening as usual. If you've been enjoying this podcast, it would mean a lot if you would subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps. Loving Quarantine is created and produced by me, Carly Shortino, and Rachel Rapkin, produced in partnership with Blue Duck Media. See you next time.